So now let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you once more that we can gather and we pray for your spirit to come and be with us as your word says. That likewise, your spirit helps us in our weakness. So come and help us in our weakness right now, O Lord, that we would be drawn nearer to you, that we would be restored by your grace into the salvation that you have given us, that we would always be drawn into repentance and faith, to trust and to love. And we ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. And so, um, to begin with, let's read um, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 26 through 34. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As the fellowship was trapped in the mines of Moria, slowly making their way through those mines in the Lord of the Rings, Frodo looks, and he hears a noise, and he looks down the shaft from where they had just come, and he may see, and he sees the creature Gollum. And he begins talking to Gandalf about Gollum, talking about how he wishes that his uncle Bilbo had just killed him to begin with, that it's a pity that he didn't kill him, and Gandalf points out that it was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. And as they continue discussing the ring that Frodo is having to carry to take to Mount Doom, Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf, giving probably one of his most important quotes from the whole series, says, So do all who live and to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. You see, Gandalf is pointing out that Frodo can't decide what is the times he is to find himself in, that he can't decide that he can't have the ring anymore, that he can't wish it all away, that we just simply find ourselves where we are in the here and now. Events having happened before us cannot be changed. But the key is to recognize the future lies before us. We don't know what is coming. 
And so we have to decide, Gandalf says, to do with the time that is given to us, that we decide how we're going to respond to the times that we find ourselves in, that we decide that we work within the boundaries that we find ourselves and move forward. Something that we have that Frodo did not have, though, is the Holy Spirit who guides us, who leads us through these times, who acts in us to help us to decide what to do at that time, who guides us through various trials and tribulations, who guides us through this maze that is the broken world that we live in. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's what St. Paul says in verse 26, but he begins that with the word likewise, reminding us of what just came before it. And right before he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, he says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul had just been talking about the redemption of the sons, the redemptions of all of the believers in this world. That we groan inwardly because we await our adoption, which will mean the final resurrection, the completion of all the, of salvation. And so we can't see that end yet. We know it is coming because God has promised, but we do not see it yet. We simply see the weakness in our bodies, the weakness of our tendencies. And so we live in a place of hope because we do not yet see or have precisely what is coming. And because we have hope, we wait in patience. And it's the Spirit that is working that hope in us because it is a Spirit who leads us to groan and wait eagerly to yearn for that adoption, that completion of salvation. And so likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul points us to the Spirit's work in us, that in the times that we find ourselves in, we find ourselves weak. We find ourselves unable to move forward. And so the Spirit helps us in that weakness. And that weakness here, I think, is that tendency that we all have to not wait and hope with patience. To think of that promise in way far in the future and to quit waiting on it, to quit hoping in it, to lose patience with God's work, to lose that perseverance that we are called to have, which means that we're losing faith in God's promises. That is to say, I haven't seen what God has promised, thus I will forsake that very God who has promised it to me because he is so long in fulfilling his promise. And so we lose patience, we lose the perseverance needed to wait for that calling, that fulfilling. We come to doubt that which we have because it's not yet. We have salvation in us, but we turn away from it because it is not complete yet. That is the weakness that overpowers us, that can come and overpower us, but the Spirit comes to help us. He comes and abides with us, and He helps us in our weakness such that even when we don't recognize that weakness springing up, that tendency toward doubt, that tendency toward impatience, that tendency toward lacking of hope, He is at work in us to teach us how to pray. He is at work interceding for us, creating the groanings that are too deep for words deep down within creating that sense of need to prevent us from sliding away. And we are called to hear that Spirit interceding for us. His intercession isn't 
necessarily him before the Father, but is an intercession within that creates the words that we are praying. He causes the prayers to bubble up out of me such that it is my prayer, and yet it is his intercession because he is causing it. Even in the midst of our redemption and our regeneration, we still need the Spirit to work in us. We need the Spirit to be at work to overcome what is skewed in our nature, to overcome that brokenness that continues to exist though we have been renewed and regenerated, though we have received redemption in Christ and are united to Him, we still wrestle against that old nature, that old man within. And that's why the Spirit is with us in the here and now. He continues to abide with us. He comes and inspires the faith that we have. He comes and creates that faith. And He remains with us calling forth that faith, calling forth that love, calling forth that trust by leading us to pray, by giving us the words to pray when we don't know what we need to pray for. Because that is the great and hard struggle of the Christian life sometimes is to pray, is to draw near, is to let go, and to trust that God is at work. It is the Spirit who causes us to pray even when we don't know what we need even when we don't understand what it is that we are to pray for. It's the Spirit who works through us and interprets for us according to the will of God the Father. He brings our prayers up to the Father through Christ Himself. Even in our feeblest prayers, God hears what we need. Even though we are groaning and groping through life, He recognizes what it is that we truly need. And that reminds me of St. Monica and her prayers for Augustine, her son. She prayed for him to not go to Italy, but yet he did go to Italy. God did not answer her prayer because there was a deeper yearning, there was a deeper groaning within, and that was the prayer for his salvation. And for Augustine to go to Italy meant that he would meet Ambrose, who would lead him into redemption, who would teach him the faith, who would call him to repentance and to the gospel of salvation. And so on the surface, God did not answer Monica's immediate prayer. She begged God for Augustine not to go to Italy because she feared that he would be flung even further from salvation, even further from any little recognition that he had of God. But God still let Augustine go to Italy because God's plan included that. God's plan had planned for that. And Ambrose was there to be encountered by Augustine. And through Ambrose, he was brought into salvation. The Spirit worked according to God's will. The Spirit knew of the deeper desire, the deeper need, the deeper call in Monica's own heart. She desired her son's salvation. And so God answered that prayer. The Spirit led her in that prayer and opened up salvation unto her son. And there's a comfort there because there is an example of God working seemingly against our immediate outward prayers, but yet working with our deep inward groanings that we don't even realize are there, that we occasionally have a sense of, that we sense that need, that emptiness, that calling out. And the Spirit works. The Spirit draws it up to the Father, and He begins answering. Even though those words are too deep for us. And then we begin as... The fulfillment comes, we begin to understand what we were really praying about, what we were truly praying toward, what we were truly needing. And the amazing thing is that we can pray for the wrong thing even, and yet God will bring about the right thing. 
And it's not that God is working against us, but he's working with and in us because the Spirit is working through those groanings to open our eyes to the better and greater answers that are coming. And Paul brings us to a beauty, beautiful encouragement right here, right after that, that after the Spirit is interceding for the saints according to the will of God, he then declares, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This verse, along with the second half of verse 31 and probably Philippians 4.13 and John 3.16 are probably some of the most quoted passages in the Bible. Philippians 4.13 being that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And of course, we know John 3.16, I think. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And it's, there's a reason that this is a popular verse to memorize and to quote. It's because of the comfort it gives that all things work together for good of those who love God. For those who love God, God will work all things according to his will for their good. The struggles, the situations, the hardships that we find ourselves in are all being worked out for our good through our love for God. Our love for God opens our eyes to see God working, to see God acting, to see him shaping and leading and guiding us. But one thing that really jumped out at me this week as I was reflecting on this passage was just the reality that when I look back at my own life, that all things while Paul here is immediately talking about the struggles and the suffering of being Christians in the Roman capital there of Rome, it also includes all things working together for good of those who love God, even our sinfulness, even our brokenness, God is going to work for our good when we love him. That I can look back over my years when I turned from God and pursued my own personal desires and abandoned God and his love in the aftermath of all of that, as I came back and recognized who the Lord was once more, as he called me back to salvation and called me back into his redemptive plan, I could look back and see that God was beginning to even then to use all of that sinfulness that I had committed to reshape who I am, to begin working out his salvation more deeply within me, that all things work together for good even our sinfulness, even our brokenness, even our wrong actions, our bad responses, our breaking of God's law. He will even take that and work it for our good when we love him, when we trust him, when we believe that he is at work for our good. The most perfect example of all of that comes from Genesis, I think. There with Joseph, when he confronts his brothers after they had sold him into slavery, left him for dead to be a slave, and then he is thrown in prison, and then he rose in the ranks of Pharaoh's company up to be second in command of all of Egypt. And his brothers were fearful of the wrath and the anger that Joseph would have toward them for selling him into slavery, for kickstarting this whole horrible process that Joseph went through, but yet that came out for good. And Joseph says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, for through what you did to me, our family has been saved. He has brought many into salvation through your wrongful actions. And some might even go a step further and say Joseph brought it on himself with his talking of his dreams and his almost bragging about the dreams that he was receiving, that it angered his brothers and even his father told him to be quiet about those dreams. 
And God used that braggadociousness that Joseph had about those dreams to lead up to that moment of his brothers turning against him and casting him into that pit and selling him into slavery and a chain reaction of events coming to the place where Joseph becomes the savior of his people. God used their sin. He used Joseph's sins. He used his brother's sins to bring about salvation because God was at work in the ones that he loved who loved him. And that's what love does. It opens our eyes to what God is doing. That's what our faith does. It trusts. And as we trust, we come to love God more and more. For after all, that love that is in us doesn't come out of me. It comes from the Spirit. Romans 5, that, we go, that I go back to so often. The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. He pours the love of God into our very hearts. And that love of God into our hearts overflows as love for God. It overflows into love toward God because He has given us faith in that moment of pouring His love into us. Love is not what saves us. Christ is who saves us. Love is the fruit of the faith that the Spirit gives to us and creates in us when He pours love into our hearts. And Paul tells us what it means to love God. It means that we are answering the call of his purpose. And that purpose is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. That he would be at work in us. That he would be shifting us and changing us and molding us and reshaping us to be conformed to Jesus. Which means he is continually opening our eyes and revealing the sin that we have. Revealing our need for repentance over and over and over to draw us nearer and nearer to himself. And that's the time that I don't want to be in. As Frodo said, I wish none of this had happened. There are days where I wish that God had never opened my eyes to the sin within because opening my eyes once, he keeps opening them. But as Gandalf said, so do all who see such times. And I'm sure all of us have that sense of as God opens our eyes to our sins, we say, oh God, why did you make me see that in myself? I don't want to see that. Because it's too painful to give up my sin. It's too painful to repent of my sin. But God works in us to bring us to that repentance, to open our eyes that we might be conformed, that we might love him. Because that's what he is predestined to be done to us, to occur in us, that Christ would be the firstborn, he says in verse 29, among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is at work to bring us into our salvation. He is the one who will accomplish it. That is, he foreknew and predestined the salvation he was creating for each of us. He calls us here in time. That is what calling is. It's a moment in time that continues for, that he continues to call and call, that he might bring justification into our hearts and our lives. And those whom he justifies, he will also glorify. He will work out his salvation in time for us. He is calling us. He is leading us. He is guiding us. And as we answer that call, his love is poured into us and that draws out faith. And that fruit of that faith will be love in return for God and Christ himself. And that brings us up to the penultimate part of Romans 8 here, 31 through 34, where he says, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? One of the most quotable words. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
As Paul has just said, God has predestined and called us. He is justifying. He has justified us and is working his justification into us, making us right before himself, leading us toward that moment of glorification. Who can be against us if God is for us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul writing to believers who love God, who are struggling with doubt, who are struggling with the call that has been given to them. God gave his only son the greatest gift that could ever occur, the son of God coming down, taking on flesh and dying on the cross and being raised again on our behalf. God did not spare his son from the humiliation of death. How will he not also give us with him all things? For he raised him from the dead after that humiliating death because sin was dealt with. Forgiveness was, a, was purchased and accomplished. Redemption was done. And Christ raised up, was raised from the dead. How will God the Father not also give us that very same renewal, that very same fullness of the redemption that Christ has purchased and bring us into Christ's own resurrection from the dead? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. I'm sure St. Paul in the back of his mind is remembering his own sinful deeds, his persecution of the church, his murdering of Stephen through others. As people would say, but you were a persecutor. How do you become an apostle? How do you lead? And he says, it's God who justifies. It is God who calls. It is God who has put this calling on me. God justified me and has called me as his elect. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And that's why the passage ends today right there. That the Spirit intercedes and Jesus intercedes in our weakness. Who can bring a charge against us when they see our sin, when they remember our sin? No one can bring a charge against us because it's God, it is God who justifies. It is God who has redeemed us just as it was for Paul. But you see, being justified, God brings about that transformation of love toward God. That we can step back and we can own the sins that we have committed. We can look at those we have sinned against and ask for their forgiveness, which means we own that we did something wrong. That's the funny part. People think Often that forgiveness, extending forgiveness to someone and someone receiving forgiveness rightly is getting off the hook, but it means owning what you've done wrong. If you don't own your sin, then you don't receive forgiveness ultimately. If you can't admit your sin, no matter how much the other person is forgiving you and extending reconciliation, that healing doesn't occur without a recognition without that law working in you to lead you to repentance, to lead you to turn from it. The Spirit working in us causes that to happen as we receive the Spirit, as we receive the reality that we are sinners. We are drawn into the love of God more and more that we might then love God. The Spirit helps us in that weakness, and He intercedes for us. And Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, also interceding for us, praying for us. How much more comfort can we receive right now to know that the Holy Spirit prays for us? He intercedes through us that we would pray the prayers that we need to pray. And Jesus also intercedes 
Two persons of the Godhead are interceding for us before the Father himself, before the other person of the Godhead. And that God is working together for our good by bringing these things out of us and before himself, that we would see his work on our behalf. The Spirit helps us in our weakness and brings about all of these glorious things that Paul talks about here in our passage. That we might love God and see that all things are working together for our good. Because we've been called according to his purpose, we are walking this path of conforming to the Son, that the Spirit is working in us to bring it about. We rest in that, but our rest is a struggle against that which still clings within and holds on to us. So it's a restful work, knowing the end, knowing the promise, knowing that we will see that fullness of redemption in our bodies, that removal of all sin from us. So we work in a restful way, resting in Christ and going through life, knowing that he is with us and is conforming us, and thus we can be conformed. Thus we can confess our sin to him and turn from it and repent little by little and be conformed because the Spirit is working in our weakness. He is helping us in our weakness and is calling us to the Father, and we are responding little by little every day. So may we continue to walk this path of salvation with the Spirit helping us in our weakness. And when we find that our weakness is overpowering us, may we cry out to that very Spirit to open our eyes to how we can pray against that weakness more fully, to how we can resist that weakness more fully, to how we can be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ in us, who is united to us, who is in us, and in whom we are in. May we cry out in prayer toward him as we wrestle and as we walk and as we recognize that weakness. May the Spirit guide you in all things that you would more fully know that Jesus is at work in you, that you might draw near to the Father. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.